Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Kevin here, and welcome to another episode of the Christ Connection Podcast, and I am excited for this one. I think it's going to be an encouragement to you in your prayer life in such a practical way, which is what this ministry has done so much uh, over the years in training around the country, and so uh, this episode right here is going to help you personally with that. It helped uh, me in the process of making it, so uh, we're going to dive into that in just a second, but if you are new to the Christ Connection family, don't forget to subscribe review all of that stuff share it with a friend to help us get the word out about the podcast so that we can help more people grow in their relationship with God because that is what it's all about so we do that and then without further ado let's get to my conversation with Kyle Strobel my guest today is Kyle Strobel's Kyle is the assistant professor of spiritual theology and formation at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University and the co-author of where prayer uh, it becomes real how honesty with God transforms your soul. His areas of interest include systematic theology, Jonathan Edwards, spiritual formation, and prayer. He is also the star of A Case for Christ. No, uh, <laughs> Kyle, welcome to the show. <laughs> Kevin, good to be with you, man. <laughs> it is, it's good to uh, get to talk about this book in a second. But since this is an Aaron Run uh, episode, I... I always like to start with an errand question. If you are running out on an errand, uh, is there a certain treat that you like to get for yourself, maybe at a gas station or grocery store when you're just kind of running in and out and treat yourself? You know, I almost never do unless I'm on some sort of road trip and then it's Reese's Pieces all day long. Ooh. Do you not like the cups, just the small ones? I do like the cups, but there's something about the pieces that on, on a road trip, maybe it's the, you know, and keeping my fingers a little cleaner when you're on <laughs> the steering wheel. Or something, but <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're, for you're a being... movie or for a road trip, I'm doing yeah. Reese's Pieces. That's nice. I'm a, I'm a Reese's guy, but I, I'm not, normally not driving, so I don't really care. I get the big things and lots of peanut yeah. butter there. <laughs> I like to keep those in the freezer for every, for every now and again for a little treat. Oh. Nice special, frozen Reese's peanut butter cup is nice. Special occasion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, your book is where prayer becomes real. And now this is a random question to start with, but you it's you and John Coe wrote it together. Uh, now, I'm an author, and so I just wonder at this question. No one else probably is going to care about this, but I do. Uh, what is it like to co-author a book? How, how do you even logistically do that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, in... In my discipline, so I'm a theologian by kind of trade and training in terms of what I teach and stuff, and it's pretty rare to co-author, um, but I co-author all the time. So this is actually the third different co-author I've had for a book. I'm actually working on a fourth one with a different co-author. So I, <laughs> I've written, you know, several things, and they're all a little different, and most of them depend on your relationship. What was unique about this book was that John is my mentor. So I, I studied um, spiritual formation under John years ago, 15 years ago. And so he had a huge impact on my life concerning prayer specifically. And so that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's funny because in John's by mentor, but I'm much more 
published than he is. Like uh, John isn't, he doesn't give himself to a lot of writing. He's much more of a teacher and mentor and those things. And so we, we both had our kind of areas coming into it and we both were kind of leaning on one another. The thing I love about co-authoring is, and as an author, you'll appreciate this because you know, you know, you're writing a book on your own and you just hit these seasons where either you're tired or just fatigued in general, or you just don't want to give yourself to it. And inevitably when you're fatigued, the other person's energized and vice versa. And so it really just kind of helps. You really got to move through or to be able to just hand it off to someone else and be like, look, I'm just I'm sick of looking <laughs> at this thing. Like, please, you deal with this for the time being. So that's, that's, that's always nice. Uh, although you said you, uh, you're working on a fourth one with a different uh, co-author. Does this mean you can't write a second book with someone after you're done? No, with no, no, I have. I, and so my closest friend and I, Jamin Goggin, we've written um, two books together and edited them. And we're, we're working on another one. And so there's, I, I, I do, um, I do quite a lot of that, but it, it is funny when, once you do it with other people and see the difference, uh, especially if you don't know someone all that well, I've done that a little bit. And that gets, that gets weird because <laughs> the nice thing with John and with my buddy Jamin is I can edit their stuff like it's mine and vice versa. And so the nice thing is then you get a unified voice. Um, and so it's where I've written some things and it's like, you could tell very clearly who wrote this chapter <laughs> and who did it. Um, it doesn't work that way with my other works because we, we kind of allow ourselves to edit uh, freely. <laughs> right. All right. Now this book, uh, I, first of all, I say I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm -hmm. Being a guy who's taught on prayer for 15 years, uh, I have more than my share of books that I've read on the subject. So, <laughs> so well done. Well, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, and you kind of touch on four practices, four principles. And I thought in order to actually sell the book, we'll talk about one of each and then let people go get the other room. So, so, <laughs> uh, so the first uh, principle that I, I, I like, you say in the book, if you want a boring prayer life, spend it trying to be good in prayer rather than being honest. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah, no, this was, this was something that John actually taught to me when I was a seminary student that changed my prayer life. And I, and I realized that, you know, prayer, because it, it doesn't, it is a kind of performative act, right? You have to do something, you have to sit or stand, you have to say words or think words or whatever it is, that it so easily becomes about being good at something. And when it becomes performative, we start praying like we imagine a good Christian should pray like, instead of actually praying the deep desires of our soul. And so what ends up happening is we end up sending our avatars to pray, which is the kind of like <laughs> image I like, you know, and I just realized, you know, like the cliche of the family that fights all the way to church and then gets out with the car with smiles on their faces. Like a lot of us, I think prayer kind of looks that way. And um, we don't actually, you know, one of the, there was a, a book I was reading on prayer years ago that I love how he put this. He said, you know, at no point when the Titanic was sinking, did people have a problem with their mind wandering when they were praying, <laughs> right? <laughs> and because they had the unique experience of praying just their fullest desires right there. And I think we've all had moments like that. We all know what that's like, but we all know the opposite too. We go to pray. And because we've carved out a time to pray and to give ourselves to it and our minds wander and we're just, we're unattached to the deepest desires we have. And in those places, the danger is to just try to be good. And you quote uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, which, mm. uh, you know, 
that's just a name that you like to say when you try. I got, I, I got, a, I got a last name, Senapati Ratna. So any of these kind of names just speak to me, but uh, you say, he says, there's nothing out of bounds in prayer, nothing precluded and inappropriate. Uh, uh, how does, should that impact our prayer life? Yeah. I think this is one of those things that, and this is, and I'm, and I'm sure you've run into this over and over again, you know, prayer more than any other area I can think of, you can't merely learn information about it. Like it is really an experiential reality. So it's easy to say, and I, everyone knows <laughs> you should pray about what you, like your deep desires. You could tell God everything. Um, I actually, one of our early, I, I was handing off drafts of this in a manuscript form. And one of the, one of the people that read it for me had been a Christian for 40 years. And she said, you know, ever since I became a Christian, I was told you could, you could say anything to God. And I never knew what that meant until now. And that was the best thing I could hear about because that's exact. Because I, one of the things we realize is you can't just tell people like it's those things are true, but they're true in kind of the way a lot of cliches are true. Like they don't penetrate. And so what Brueggemann says there is it, it really pushes you into, I'm going to have to discover the things I actually deeply don't believe God can hear. Because I've got these deep beliefs that I think God either can't or doesn't want to hear this. And that's why, you know, one of the things we talk about is praying the Psalms. Like one of the things the Psalms led me into was that where, you know, as I tell my students, you know, it's easy to pray the Psalms until you get to like, you know, Lord dash their children against the rocks, you know, but the problem is we've all prayed that on the highway. Like we've all said something like that, you know, that's in me. And I often think about it. Maybe if I think about it in prayer, I'm ashamed of it. I hear Jesus reverberating in the back of my mind, you know, love your enemies, pray for them. And, and and instead of just naming the truth, Lord, that's in there. And I love how, I love what David does in Psalm 139 when, when he kind of erupts about his enemies. But then we'll kind of conclude with, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And so there's this, I need to name the truth, but then I need to offer it to God and trust that he knows what he's doing with it. And, and the problem is most of us, if not all of us, to some degree, we have these pockets of our souls that we just don't believe God's interested in. And this is the danger of trying to be good in prayer as well, as it, it leads us away from the, the, the things that we actually need to bring to the Lord. And, and you kind of touch on the idea of how our self, we have a self-talk and then we have the prayer talk and, we, yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're kind of, and, and I've, since I've read the book, now again, I've teach this around the, you know, teach on prayer around the country. But I, I found myself like, wait a second, naming that, that is my, I'm just doing this in my head. And then I go back to God in prayer. And then I come back to my self-talk and you're kind of encouraging people to push those two things together. Right. That's right. Yeah. Like the, our, our worry is that we're talking to ourselves rather than God. And so there's these moments where we kind of come to these realizations in prayer, oftentimes, if we're being watchful, as Paul calls us to in Colossians 4, 2, you know, be watchful in prayer. So as you're being watchful, you're realizing, um, and maybe the things you're realizing is, I spent the last 10 minutes thinking about, I don't know, the Lakers, and are they going to do it this year, or, you know, whatever it is. And you, the right there, now you have a problem, like, do you turn to yourself? Do you try to pump yourself up? Do you try to, you know, I see a lot of my students, so I have seminary students, a lot of them admonish themselves viciously in prayer because they have this secret fantasy that if they're harsh on themselves, God is looking at that and won't be harsh on them. And they're, they're kind of turning against themselves, tr trying to manage God. And we say, well, no, tell God that. Don't just think about, man, I'm bad at prayer. 
tell God you're, he knows you're bad at prayer. <laughs> like, tell him, like, God, I, you know, if you're bored in church, tell God you're bored. But that's the thing, you know, most of us, we have these ideas that God just doesn't want to hear that. And, you know, as I remind my, it's because this is, you know, one of the most common things I hear. And I think this is so interesting. My students tell me this all the time. I'll push them into honesty and prayer. And they'll say something like, you know, it doesn't feel like I'm being reverent. And like, you know, the opposite of honesty is dishonesty. It's not lacking reverence. Like, you don't like, why are you connecting those two things? But it shows them that they're, they've connected reverence. Actually, what I think has gone on psychologically is they've connected reverence with dad. And so what they've connected is the kind of things they would tell their dad. And so if they're bored when their dad's talking to them, they're never going to say, dad, I'm, I'm bored with you right now. And so they're thinking it'd be irreverent to say that. And that's probably true with your, father, your <laughs> earthly father. But that's precisely what we have to tell God. And, you know, the thing that really, the image that came to me when we were writing this book that really struck me, particularly about my early prayer life, was the image of, of stereo sound. So, like, God always hears our prayers in stereo. He hears the spirit groaning with groanings too deep for words in our soul. And he hears our words. And I just remember thinking, man, so much of my prayers were these fantasy prayers of, hey, God, things are well. And the spirit's like, ah, groaning in my soul. And, and just thinking like, wow, that groaning is a groaning in reality. And I was praying in fantasy. I was, I was trying to show God, look, I've got some sins. I'm trying to deal with it. I'm trying to get my act together. I'm trying to be a good little guy here, God. And, you know, and God's going, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about? Talk to me about the truth. You're bored with me. You don't want to do any of this. And, you know, thinking of G Jesus was just so proficient in his discipleship at doing this. You know, what are you guys talking about? Uh, which one of us is the greatest? <laughs> you know? Jesus is going to the cross. They're debating which one of them is better than the other ones. Um, you know, when Jesus, I love the, the scene after the transfiguration, when um, James and John asked Jesus if he wants them to call fire down from heaven to consume the Samaritans. <laughs> it's like, this is post, like, love your enemies. <laughs> like, you know, so we're going to start killing people, right? You know, this is, and, you know, Jesus just constantly kind of broke open hearts and named the truth. And somewhere along the lines, I think we learn, we learn falsely that, no, God just wants us to be good and excited. And if you're not, you need to get your act together. And that's just where prayer goes to die. Well, I wasn't going to go here, but you talk about, you mentioned that idea about dad. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I love the concept of that maybe, because God, God as dad doesn't always work for everybody. Everyone's got their sure, unique, yeah, yeah. unique relationship there. Uh, but you kind of touch on the idea of, that maybe God did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, this is what, you know, I think some of us think something like God, almost like God used dad, like, okay, what's a good relation I can kind of use to kind of make sense of their relation. Whereas I want to say, no, God created earthly dads to kind of mirror a little bit of what's going on in our relationship with him. But also he wants to meet us in some of our most primal brokenness. And so he, you know, God, one of the things that strikes me about God is he's not a God that annihilates and recreates. He's a God that redeems. And that means he wants to meet us and walk us through our pain, not to just eradicate it. 
And I think the fantasy is, and what we call prayers of magic is that God's just going to, God's going to kind of heal our souls. Like he heals limbs and blindness in script. And it's like that God doesn't do, we don't see that with Peter. We, we, we see him, the Lord, take him on a journey or Paul. We see the Lord take them on journeys into their pride, into their grandiosity, into all sorts of things. And I think with fatherhood, like we, we all come for good or for bad. We all come to this with fantasy views of fatherhood and some are not negative in one sense. Like some are like, my dad is this warm, soft person who gives me what I want. Well, okay. Well, your prayer is going to be shaped by that, you know, in all sorts of ways. And we all need that redeemed. And it only is redeemed by coming to know a heavenly father as the one who really defines what fatherhood is. Now, sh shifting to the pr practice size, mm. and you and you mentioned the one that I wanted to go to, uh, uh, the practice of praying the Psalms, because uh, mm. that's that's been helpful to me over the years, the praying of the Psalms. Uh, but you use the uh, expression, or what do you, uh, Jesus used? Jesus using the Psalms to orient himself in his prayer. Uh, can you ex explain a little bit what that means? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's so funny is Jesus quotes the Psalm more than the Psalter more than any other book. And you're constantly finding Jesus kind of locating himself in God's action through the Psalms. Um, the author of Hebrews does this in interesting ways as well. Um, I was preaching through Hebrews several years ago, and I kept noticing that instead of just quoting the Old Testament directly, he would often quote the Psalter's overview of the Old Testament. It was interesting, like he's going to the Old Testament through the Psalms in some interesting sorts of ways. And so, I mean, even the, the cry on the cross is a really obvious kind of, kind of um, element of that, where Jesus uses the language of the Psalms. And so in one sense, the, that Jesus was the one who can pray the Psalter truly. And so we now get to pray the Psalms in and through him. And that, that means the Psalms will help kind of locate us in what it looks like to be children of our heavenly father in this world. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about that, that I think, really helps kind of reframe our expectations is it seems that the Bible's expectations for the people of God is that we'll mostly lament in this world. That is the largest grouping of the Psalms or lament Psalms and, and Jesus lamented through them. And so that should shape us, you know, that should shape expectations. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in a, in a church that we did really good on praise laments, <laughs> like yeah we just never did that and and again i think psychologically and spiritually it would feel it almost would have felt unfaithful a little bit like it it felt more faithful to just kind of reject that stuff and to just kind of praise god anyways and yet that's not what we see we don't see jesus doing that um we don't see see um the psalter doing that at all i mean the psalter names the truth of what it's like to be in god's world and that doesn't mean the psalter always names the truth if the psalmist says, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't mean God's forsaken them, but they're naming their experience with God, right? And so that, but that's what's so interesting that God would put this book in the Bible, a book where <laughs> someone prays, God, why have you fallen asleep? One of my best songs, like, God, what are you doing out there? Have you, have you forgotten about this place? And, and that's a great prayer. But I think what surprises those who first start praying the Psalms is that God wants to hear this. Like God, God wants me. If that's in me, I should pray that. And that that really exposes, I think, a lot of our presuppositions about what prayer is. And I think what the the image we use of where prayer becomes real is that prayer becomes real when you start praying in reality. And the Psalms are this 
profound example of that. Well, you, you even say one of my favorite uh, lines, uh, the people of God are given permission, divine permission to pray false statements of God. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right. Here we yeah. are. It's yeah. not truth, but if it's inside of you, get it, go, go to God with totally. it. Well, and how many Christians are crippled under the weight of false things about God that they're, they're afraid to tell God? Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing how, um, or even just ways that we don't understand things like, you know, a, a close relative gets cancer. What, how do we pray? I mean, yes, we pray for healing, of course, but what if healing doesn't come? What do we do? Like what, how do we make sense of that? And I think we often spin off into theories to make sense of it rather than saying, God, are you even awake anymore? Have you seen this? What are you doing? Like, like if that's in us, the psalmists demand that we pray that way. And that that's what I think is so shocking is it's a weird way to do theology, but a profoundly effective one to teach you about God by training you in light of what he wants to hear. It allows, it allows it to be messy, which is, yeah. which is really what our world you know, needs is totally. allowing that messiness to come out. Uh, a couple more as we ra- wrapping it up. You talk talk about the idea of rather than worrying, we simply present uh, or be present to God. Nothing more. Uh, can you talk about worry and prayer a little bit? Yeah. Well, John and I both kind of realize this in our own lives. Like we're worriers by by nature, and there's a part of us that thinks deep down somewhere. That if I just worry about something enough, we can, we can fix it, you know. And you know, and I, I feel is, yeah, I feel yeah. <laughs> you know, and so this is where we 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 kind of realize, like, look, I, I just want to be with God in that. I, instead of instead of just rejecting it, which is one way to do it, pretend it's not true, or just kind of speak against it or something. To just the second I begin to worry, to just say, God, this is yours. This is not mine. Or this is safer in your hands not my hands. Now that's something, there's some parts of my heart that don't believe that actually. Like I still somewhere deeply believe, no, it's safer in my hands. Like if I control this, if I can fix it, I, you know, <laughs> no, this is safer in God's hands. You know, God, this is, we can trust them there. And um, it takes us kind of handing that over. And, you know, part of what, the way I understand um, spiritual formation biblically is it's, it's all about having access and presence to God. So biblically, I think one of the things that's going on in the Christian life is that we are called to use the language of Hebrews, we're called to draw near. And so the problem, like with worry, worry is a mode of not drawing near and choosing instead to just try to fix and to try to strategize. And so I need to then draw near to God in my worry as the one who's worrying and offer myself to God there. And so that's, that's what my prayer becomes about. When I was younger, if I caught myself worrying in prayer, what I would do is I'd apologize to God and I would try to be better. I'd try to be good. And the problem is the Lord, I think, part of the reason why I was worrying in prayer to begin with was God was showing me the truth of my heart and inviting me to be with him as the one who worries rather than coming to him. And that's an invitation. And I was seeing it as a temptation. And that's, that's again, where our expectations often thwart, I think, what the Lord's doing. And so worry now becomes an opportunity to, to rest in God rather than ourselves. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of, I think it's a Mark Batterson quote that worry should be an alarm uh, to mm. remind us to go to God in prayer. It's kind of yes. that, tr- like mm. a trigger totally. almost. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, 
All right, as we're, as we're wrapping up here, uh, the book again is uh, Where Prayer Becomes Real, How Honesty with God Transforms Your Soul. And we didn't, as I mentioned up front, we only got one of the uh, practices and one of the uh, principles there. So people need to go check that out. And uh, you can learn more about Kyle on Facebook at Kyle C. Strobel, Twitter at Kyle Strobel. But uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with people or any final ask that you before we head on our way? <laughs> Yeah, this is a little unusual, I suppose. But, I, you know, with prayer, one of the things I find for most Christians I meet is that no one knows what their prayer life is like. And I would suggest to have, have at least at least a person or two who actually knows what prayer is like. If every time you go to pray, you fall asleep, you should talk to someone about that. You know, someone that won't judge you for that. And someone that's, oh, yeah, that makes sense, actually. Like someone that can actually kind of meet you there. But I think prayer is so lonely for most people. And so I, I hope this book or any other book on prayer that you would read with, with folks that you can actually wrestle through these things with um, and actually enter into the truth. And one of the things that'll do is it'll encourage you because you'll realize the things you struggle with in prayer, the things everyone struggles with in prayer. There's, most of these things are actually pretty universal. I love that. Find someone else to go through the book with. There we go. All right, so uh, sell two copies for the price of one. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's good. The pyramid right. scheme I'm working on right now. Sorry. <laughs> Kyle, it's been great. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Well, there you have it. You can find the show notes for this episode at ChristConnection.cc and click on podcast. Again, that's ChristConnection.cc and click on podcast. While you're there, you can find out more about our ministry and how we are here to serve you on your uh, building your relationship with Jesus and growing in an adventure with him. So again, that's ChristConnection.cc, a podcast and all the other things we have available for you. Until next time, I thank you for listening. 